Today on Locked on A's, we're talking about Howard Terminal, the A's win on Tuesday night against Luis Castillo. And then I've got some thoughts about Jordan Diaz playing second base. Why? Uh, We're going to talk about it. Let's get into it. You are Locked on A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Stepping to the mic, it's your host, Jason Burke. How's it going, A's fans? And welcome to episode 458 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke. And on today's show, we're talking about Tuesday's city council meeting where the A's, or where they discussed the A's proposal for Howard Terminal. And uh, we're going to get... There's some quotes that we're going to get to from that, and then we're going to talk about the A's win over the Seattle Mariners, and hey, the Mariners are in trouble if they can't beat the Oakland A's at the end of the season with one of their best pitchers going, so we're going to talk about that. And then we're talking about Jordan Diaz playing second. Uh, You may have noticed that, uh, that the defense was not there. Uh, so we're going to talk about that and uh, why and what's going on here. So we got a, a fun episode for you guys today. But before we get into anything, thank you guys so much for making Locked On A's your first lesson every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you like to hear uh, podcasts or shows or whatever. Uh, we're also on YouTube, so go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at by Jason B on Twitter. If you guys have any questions for us, like somebody did, uh, go join our Twitter community and uh, pose a question in there. And it is that that is how you get show or uh, questions on the show. And that's how uh, <laughs> we got a third segment today. So with all that, let's get into the city council meeting, which sounds thrilling. And you know they are, but the city council discuss the Howard Terminal project again on Tuesday, and while there was no major news to come out of the meeting, there were some eye-catching quotes that could lay the foundation for what's to come. Uh, Ed Reiskin said that negotiators are hard at work to hammer out a final deal and that they need to make sure the city is protected. That's really all you want in a deal like this, is to make sure that the city isn't the one paying for everything, because that is a a dumb thing from uh, yesterday year that owners were, you know, having cities do. Uh, no, 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 make the billionaire pay for it. So that is what they're, they're making sure that the city is not the backstop if, you know, funding falls short or something like that, nor if uh, the estimates for the, the cost uh, exceed what the estimates are, which is the, the city is trying to fund up to the estimate, not if, you know, inflation takes hold right here and it ends up being so much more money. They don't want to be the backstop. They want the A's to be the backstop. And so they're trying to figure out uh, how to work that out is what's going on. So um, he also mentioned that the rising cost of labor and parts make the process a little bit more complicated because they don't know who the back right now. I think that the A's want the city to be the backstop and they do not want their, tr- their own uh, city fund to be the backstop. That is not what the city council wants, and that is fair. That is an, a very fair assessment by the city council. Uh, but as someone else pointed out on Twitter, those rising costs are also uh, not exclusive to Oakland. Those are going to be anywhere. It's just 
this the, the city of Oakland would not be the backstop if they moved to Vegas. So there there's that in there as well. Uh, they're they're everywhere. The, the raising costs are everywhere, you guys. And so this may not be as damning as it sounds. Uh, maybe the A's actually have to cover the inflation costs because it has taken a little bit of time. But also they're going to be mad that it's taken a little bit of time and now it's costing them more money. Blah blah blah. But Raiskin also said that uh, the goal is still to have a vote by the end of the year, but that timeline is getting very tight. Uh, I have to assume that he means that a binding vote on the project uh, as a whole here as the votes that needs to be done by the end of the year, because that's kind of what we're all here for. Uh, Lauren Taylor is still one of the biggest supporters of the project on the council. He said that Oakland certainly needs transformation developments like the one being proposed. I think it's supposed to be transformational, but you know, whatever. Uh, maybe that was missed in the uh, in the retelling of the meeting. Uh, a few members of the council also said that the public needs to start pushing the A's because the council will not make a deal if it's not good for the city. And right now the A's are, are you know, standing pat a little bit. They, they need to be pushed a little bit towards the city's uh, goals, I believe. And uh, they don't want to capitulate to what the A's solely want. They want to have some, some say in this is how I'm reading that. And so the best case scenario that was laid out here would be to wrap up negotiations this month in September. And then the planning commission would be next month in October. And then the council, uh, they could be at the council as early as November. And, uh, you know, a vote would follow somewhere after that. Uh, Brody Brazil, you know, the guy from uh, A's postgame and pregame live, uh, he tweeted out something that I found very interesting, and maybe it's because uh, I'm I'm rooting for the project, but uh, he said, quote, obviously the A's in Oakland both negotiating, neither will share specifics, and I'm not intending to lead you on in any way, but the comment that Quote again, uh, if this gets wrapped up in the next week, end quote, certainly catches the ear, whether it's 5% or 95% likely. And uh, I'll take that a step further, honestly, from what I'm gleaning, and this is just opinion here, uh, it feels like they know that there is a deal to be made and that they're just negotiating on those last little things here, uh, and that the timeline to get a deal agreed, agreed upon in principle could be fairly close. That's that's what I'm seeing here is they, they see the groundwork laid. They just need to, you know, dot some I's, cross some T's, and uh, do, do some of that kind of stuff here. It, it feels as though they're getting close because it wasn't, you know, the, the A's aren't coming to the table. They're not doing this. They're like, hey, look, push them a little bit closer to our side because then we can have a deal is what I'm hearing here. And that's encouraging, I think. There was also a lot of talk in the meeting about the timeline to get this wrapped up by the end of the year, and I feel like that's not something you bring up if you're still miles apart and there's not a deal to be had in the near future. Maybe not in the near future, but uh, in the somewhat near future at the very least. So, like I said before, the reason the year of the end votes is important and why it was probably brought up a little bit here is because, one, the A's keep threatening to bail if this takes too long. So that's that's one. Uh, but also, two, and this could even be a bigger point, uh, there will be a new city council at the beginning of next year because elections are in November, you guys, and inauguration, I believe, is January 4th. So uh, there's going to be a whole new city council, a whole new electorate here to be dealing with, uh, you know, what, what's going on here. And 
well, maybe not electorate, but, you know, a, a new body of voters here that is going to be voting on whether or not to move forward with this project and how long is it going to take them to get up to speed and get on the same page and get to where this city council currently is. That could be a, a time waster that could make the A's actually make good on their threat to legitimately pursue other locations. I know that they keep floating Vegas stuff, but uh, I, I still don't necessarily... That, that's used as a ploy, I think, to push the city of Oakland a little bit. Because, uh, you know, they always do that. But that that's just what it feels like, is you, you got to get a lot closer, I think, with the A's and the city council before the end of the year, if not have a vote. You, you have to be on the one-yard line by the end of the year to get this thing done, because... Who knows what's going to happen with a new city council? Otherwise, we could be entering very questionable territory with Howard Terminal. Are the A's going to hold firm on their threat over the speed of the project? Uh, personally, I'd rather not find out if they're serious or if they're bluffing. So to continue on the best case scenario path that was laid out, this month wraps up next Friday. So they got a week and a half to figure it out and to keep on the best case scenario path. Uh, that might not be a hard deadline. Maybe they could, you know, fudge it a little bit. And if they miss it by a week and it's two and a half weeks, then, hey, maybe that still worked for the timeline as well. But uh, having something by then would sure be nice for, you know, A's fans in Oakland who would like to see the team stay like myself. I like having the A's here and going to games and, you know. Uh, I'd like to take my, my son to an A's game in Oakland and not have his first game be a stupid Giants game. <sighs> Anyways, uh, coming up, we're talking about the A's 4-1 win over the Seattle Mariners because that was a fun game. Summer's winding down, the nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. That's right, this episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. We all know that confidence can take you far in life, and that's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's all done online. I don't like talking to people about anything, and so this is specifically something that I do not want to talk to the doctor about, and so I don't have to go to the doctor's office, I don't have to have those awkward conversations, and I don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy, and that is wonderful to me. So if you could benefit from a little extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. That should be the A slogan for 2023. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal just for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code Locked On at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code Locked On to receive your first month for free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Ace Podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. Follow us or subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, over at YouTube. It's Locked On A's over there. Also, we're at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at by Jason B on Twitter. If you guys have any questions for us, join our Twitter community or just, you know, hit us up on Twitter. 
pose some questions. I will answer them on the show like I am in the third segment today. But uh, before we get to that, let's talk about the A's 4-1 to win over the Mariners. Tony Kemp heard that there were going to be fireworks at the Coliseum on Friday night, so he brought some of his own to the park in last night's 4-1 to win over the Seattle Mariners. Uh, I was a little bit apprehensive about this game during one of the week because J.P. Sears had been struggling, and this would be Seattle's second crack at him in just about a month, almost ex- a month to the day. Uh, and it turns out he handled them just fine, uh, even when Jordan Diaz booted a ball at second base in the second that would have been a, a double play opportunity. At least they would have gotten one run or one out there. Uh, but it turned into runners at first and third with nobody out, and he allowed uh, one run in that entire process. That was fantastic work by him because he struck out the next two batters that he faced. Uh, then he walked the following two. So he walked in a run. Uh, it was an unearned run. So there was that. Uh, and the Mariners lone run of the game as well. Julio Rodriguez flew out to center with the bases loaded to end the inning. And that, I think that probably was a confidence builder. You got the bases loaded. You're in the situation that wasn't necessarily your fault. The defense hasn't been great for you. And also the, the runner that was on first, uh, Carlos Santana, uh, he got there because there was a ball hit to Vimy Almachin at third base, and it was deep in third base. He was almost on the outfield grass. And when he fielded that, I was like, there's no way he's going to throw him out here. And then he threw a little bit wide at first, and people are like, oh, it should have been an error. But when he fielded the ball, I was like, he's going to be safe. So it was definitely the, the right call. It was a hit. The A's gave up one hit in this game. J.P. Sears was fantastic. He, he had some walks, and the, the one that walked in a run was not close. But... He had a fantastic game. Great bounce back start from J.P. Sears. Love what I'm seeing from him uh, just in general, honestly, and especially against divisional foes like the Seattle Mariners. You got to beat teams like this to be a better team. And J.P. Sears has beaten the Seattle Mariners twice in two opportunities, and he's beaten Luis Castillo twice in two opportunities. It's just something that you love to see. He has taken down arguably their best pitcher twice, and he's the A's... I mean, he's one of the better starting pitchers, but is he the best starting pitcher? Maybe not. Uh, Maybe it's because Cole Irvin has gotten rocked by the Seattle Mariners for the last two years. He's only had one start against him this year, and it was Eugenio Suarez that did it uh, in his start this year. So I I think that Cole Irvin's going to be fine against the Seattle Mariners if and when he ever faces them again. But let's get back to the game here. Uh, From there, Sears pretty much just cruised through the next three innings, allowing just one walk in the fifth inning while striking out four of the ten batters that he faced. That's fantastic. He he had a a solid start. Uh, In the bottom of the fifth, Tony Kemp took Luis Castillo deep for a three-run shot to give the A's the lead. Then Vilmiel Machin and Sean Murphy backed that up with back-to-back doubles to put the A's up 4-1, to which was how things would end up. Uh, then you had Joel Piamps, uh, AJ Puck, Tyler Sear, and Domingo Acevedo each pitched a scoreless inning in relief, and the only hit in the whole game for Seattle didn't even leave the infield. That was one heck of a pitching performance by the A's against a team that is barreling towards the playoffs. They have the sixth seed in the wild you know in in the playoffs right now in the American League and uh, they they would not have a playoff seeding if this was last year so uh, debate amongst yourselves whether or not this counts to break their streak it, it should probably but they're not gonna have a home game unless they win the first series so we'll see how that goes uh yeah it, it's it's wild the, the Seattle Mariners are playing for a lot right now 
and they got absolutely shut down by J.P. Sears and company. Tyler Sear, who, waiver claim, uh, Joel Piamps, waiver claim, and then you got A.J. Puck, who has not been great of late, and then Domingo Acevedo, sure, he, he's supposed to be good, uh, but they, they got shut down by some guys that are not on their game right now, so... Watch out for the Seattle Mariners in the playoffs, question mark. Anyways, with the win, the A's now sit at 54-94 and 94 to avoid 100 losses. They'll need to go 9-5 and five the rest of the way. Uh, I don't have very high hopes for the Mets series this weekend, so there aren't many other losses that the A's can afford. So this win was a big one in terms of them trying to avoid 100 losses on the season. They're all going to be big wins from here on because every, every win that the A's get is one less opportunity for them to lose a game and get 100 losses. Uh, and finally, I got another quick dig at the Mariners. Uh, Luis Castillo has now lost to the A's twice in two starts against them and given up four runs in each start. That is eight runs in nine and two-thirds innings pitched against, I believe, the second worst offense in the American League. Uh, Seattle has to be praying so hard. Maybe this is why, maybe they threw this game, honestly, because they have to be praying that they hold on to the sixth seed in the playoffs because then, as of right now, they'd be facing the Cleveland Guardians, and that's a that's a much better matchup for them, I would imagine, than facing the Toronto Blue Jays and their vaunted offense because if Luis Castillo, their their diamond jewel uh, of the trade deadline, if he can't contain the Oakland A's in 2022, then what chance does he have of going to Toronto and shutting down the best offense in the league? I, I wouldn't have high hopes for that, honestly, so... You got to be thinking that, hey, maybe they're going to throw some more games so that they can just hold on to a playoff spot, but not move up. They want the Rays to face Tampa Bay, and that would actually be an interesting series. But uh, you got to think that the the odds are not in Luis Castillo's favor if he's facing the best offense in the American League. And I mean, we'll see how Robbie Ray does against the A's. He's got some swinging that stuff, but he's been a little bit hit and miss of late. So, hey, we'll see. This is... Uh, Wednesday's game today is uh, the game that I actually thought the A's would win in this series with James Caprillian going against Robbie Ray. So we'll see how that goes. And then tomorrow you got Adrian Martinez and you know that I love Adrian Martinez. So we'll see how that goes as well. Anyways, coming up, I'm talking about Jordan Diaz playing second base and why? Why, Mark? And I, I've, Mark's not a good name to yell. We Why, Cots? Yeah, why, Cots? There you go. That's his new thing. Anyways, yeah, we're talking about that here in a minute. Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. And also, if you've made it this far, please leave us a five-star review wherever you like to hear podcasts. Uh, follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at by Jason B on Twitter. And I, I say it every day, but if you have a question for us, join our Twitter community. Pose a question in there because that is what happened t- last night. And that this is a question that I got on Twitter from a person. So last night in his second game in the big leagues, Jordan Diaz got the start at second base. And because of this, I got this question on Twitter. Uh, Quote, is it possible that the A's overload these young kids by playing multiple positions in the big leagues when maybe they should just let them concentrate on one position and hitting? Uh, That's the end of the question. Uh, Big thank you for the the question to Raider5150. 
Uh, love that. And uh, it's a very good question, too, because th- there's something that always happens with A's hitters where they're just not, they don't hit the ground running like other teams seem to, like Gunnar Henderson's, obviously he's a much higher prospect, uh, more well-regarded in the prospect community, but uh, he's he's doing good. Adley Rutschman, number one pick, obviously, but he's having a really good season. And then, you know, you get a guy like the Tigers, Spencer Torkelson, who everybody thought that he could just hit immediately. And I think that Jordan Diaz is kind of one of those guys where you're expecting him to hit. It's just a matter of finding him a defensive position. But he hasn't, I mean, it's two games, but he hasn't really been hitting much of late or yet. And so you're like, let's focus on getting you the one skill for two weeks at the end of the season, and then let's move on. That, that's that's what I'm thinking here. Uh, I was surprised when I saw that Jordan Diaz was going to be playing second base in this lineup because I figured that uh, he'd, he'd played there a little bit in the minors. And then, uh, then I saw him play second base on Tuesday, and I had to go look to see just how much second base he had played in the minors. And uh, it turns out, not much at all. You, you know... How, how we have 10 fingers? Well, it's less than that many games that he's played second base in the minor leagues. Out of 120 games, this only this season, between AA and AAA, he played three games at second base. The only time that he'd played second for the A's, other than that, was in rookie ball back in 2018. It was one game, and uh, he didn't start. And he also didn't accumulate any innings, so I'm guessing that he was uh, he, he pinch hit for the second baseman and then was lifted for a defensive replacement, is my guess. Or, you know, rookie ball stats are weird on baseball reference, so maybe that was it. But I, he, he hasn't played a lot of second base, you guys. He had three games this year out of 120. Meanwhile, he's been raking and got a promotion to the big leagues because of his bats. And that is wild to me that... that why? why? Why second base immediately? And I guess to be fair to the A's in this case, uh, the other he did actually play second base w- another time, and uh, that that was when he tallied 19 innings played at second base in the Colombian Winter League in the 2019-2020 season. So uh, he had another 19 innings that I that he didn't play for them, but you know I didn't include that in my original assessment. My bad. He's played almost 50 innings of second base ever, so my bad, you guys. So to answer Raider 5150's question, yeah, it's insane that they're having him play second base when he's just up here trying to learn big league pitching. The way that I would approach this, and I, I mean take it or leave it, but the way that I would approach this would be to either leave him in AAA and have him start playing second base to get those reps so that all of his mistakes aren't on the big stage as he tries to develop being a second baseman. Either, you know, go all in with being a second baseman and don't have it be at the big league level so that he can, you know, still hit where you know that he can hit and then he can learn second base and so you can do that. That or... Have him DH the last couple of weeks in the big leagues uh, so that he can get a taste of what the pitching is like up here and then have him go work on being a second baseman in the offseason, assess where he's at during spring training, and then assign him to AAA or Oakland from there once you see what he's got at second base. Because this, you know, learning big league pitching and also a position that you've never played and may not even be good at because how athletic is Jordan Diaz? I'm not... 100% sure, honestly. So uh, 
does does he have the mobility to play second base? Is is he good there? I so far so no, but it's only been one game, so uh, it's wild that they would just have him. Hey, go learn a bunch of new skills. Go. Uh, having him learn what is essentially a brand new position on the fly while also asking him to adjust to big league pitching is a bit of an ask, I think. Uh, especially when the pitchers the A's are facing this week. This is wild to me. Luis Castillo, he didn't get any hits against him. Uh, last year, Cy Young, Robbie Ray. And then hotshot rookie George Kirby. And then you got Chris Bassett, who we know is fantastic. And then, oh yeah, uh, DeGrom and Scherzer. That's the pitching matchups. And you're going to also have this kid in his first taste of the big leagues go learn second base as well. That's not setting him up for success, I don't think. Maybe maybe it's a sink, sink or swim thing for the A's. But uh, I, I, I really hope that this doesn't set back his development because he's got a bat. He could be a special player if you just let him hit. Uh, I hope that it's not like another Willie Calhoun situation because he, you know, he started getting injuries and stuff like that, and then he was mad that he was in the minor leagues when he thought that his bat was good enough to be a DH in the big leagues, and uh, he's floated around, and he, I think he just got outrighted off the roster for the Giants. So yeah, Willie Calhoun could have probably been a pretty decent big leaguer, but you know, injuries and being on the Rangers kind of messed him up. And just last thing here on Jordan Diaz, I, I think that it's really weird that there, there was an, an article written in the Chronicle where uh, it, one of the A's coaches was like, yeah, he's, he's too young to be a DH. He needs to be able to, you know, go play in the field because he's only 22. He should be able to play a position. If that's the case, then why, why was he the DH for the A or for AAA uh I was going to say Sacramento, huh? old habits die hard, AAA Las Vegas. Why was he the DH in 17 of the 26 games that he was there before he got promoted to the big leagues if, if he's too young to be a DH? There has to be some consistency in the development process for these guys to start having some success, and I I just don't understand it. Uh, I, I guess the only pushback that I could say is, hey, maybe – they were just doing a trial run with Diaz at second base because they prefer to have Dermis Garcia at first base for next season, which is something that I've talked about. And if you move Dermis Garcia over to first base, then you could have a more athletic outfield overall. You can improve the outfield defense a little bit. And maybe that's how they see getting wins in 2023 is defense, because that's sometimes how teams turn around quickly is improving their defense. Uh, so, if that's the case, sure, I guess that's great. Uh, it's just weird that there was that article in the Chronicle, and then this is the product, and these th- this is the, the track record of him being at second base, and then we saw the product on the field on Tuesday. It was just weird that second base was the position that they chose to give him, not third, where I know Vimy Almachin has been playing fairly well at third base, but he's been... Jordan Diaz has been playing third base a decent amount there. You'd need all of your fingers to count how many times he's played there this season. And then he also played 52 games there last season. So Jordan Diaz at third base makes a lot more sense than having him figure out a brand new friggin' position in his second game in the big leagues. Uh, just doesn't... All I'm asking for is some consistency because... I. I need to latch on to something, and I think that Jordan Diaz could be that something, so I want him to be good, and I feel like they're not letting him be good for my sake. So, anyways, that's all that I got for today's show. Uh, do you agree with uh, Raiders 5150 and myself about 
how the A's are doing this. I mean, y you saw them play, so it, I, I assume that a lot of people are going to be more on the side of why is he playing second base than, uh, yeah, let him figure it out at the big league level and also learn how to hit Jacob deGrom, who nobody can hit, and also Max Scherzer, who threw, what, six perfect innings in his return from the I.L.? Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, thank you guys so much for making Locked On A's your first listen today. Now, go make your second listen, the Locked On MLB podcast, because baseball expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor and passion and a unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked On MLB. They're on the Odyssey app, they're on YouTube, they're wherever you get podcasts. We're also on all of those platforms, so subscribe to this podcast wherever you're finding that podcast, and follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm a by Jason B on Twitter. If you guys have any questions for us, Join the Twitter community and get your question right on the air. Simple as that. Uh, anyways, uh, that's all that I got for today. So until next time, go out and celebrate good times, A's fans, and I will talk at you tomorrow.